Welcome back to another episode of Finding Faith with your host, Ian Alexander Tash. Today, we're going to be talking with Gary Inns of the Zen Fellowship of Bakersfield. I've known Gary for years. We're not best friends. We're not neighbors. We don't even see each other that often. But I've known him. And that's simply because of our lines of work. He's the head of the Zen Fellowship of Bakersfield. And I was a religious studies major. Before COVID at CSUB, one of the main features of religious studies classes was, well, experiencing religion. That meant going out into the field and going to places of worship. My very first semester, I was taking two classes at the same time, Religions of Asia and Religion and Film. Both of those classes featured Buddhism, and both of them said that we could go to a Buddhist place of worship for our site observation requirements. So I did a bit of double dipping and went to the Zen Fellowship of Bakersfield. For one class, I ended up doing a write-up on my experience, and for another class, I made a short video. And it was an interesting time, I will say, and my leg did fall asleep while I was meditating, to the point that when we had to stand up for a walking portion of the Zazen ceremony, I almost fell to the ground. But besides that, it was an interesting experience. But that wouldn't be the last time I'd work with Gary, because, little did I know, I was going to become the treasurer of the Common Ground Interfaith Club at CSUB, which essentially became the de facto religious studies club on campus. During COVID, during this time of great isolation and not a lot to do, we realized that meditation might be something that could help a lot of students cope during this time. And then again, Gary, along with a few others, were willing to step up and offer some guidance as to what meditation looks like in religious contexts in order to help students better cope with the isolation, the loneliness, the fear that they were probably having, the anxiety. And that was a very wonderful experience. Now, fast forward to me, post-degree, I've been thinking about doing this podcast. And I know in my heart, I don't want it to just be a Christian podcast. And so, I reach back out to Gary. I start joining in for Zoom meditations to sort of get a feel for what's going on again. And I find myself enjoying the experience. In fact, the day of the interview, I actually joined online again for the Zazen Zoom ceremony, but Gary was not there. But we were able to meet up later that day in order to do this interview. I wanted to have this disclaimer up front because this is not the same case as with my previous two interviews. I only got to know Pastor Ann and Pastor Stewart because I was going to be interviewing them, because I sought them out and wanted to hear their voices and wanted to learn more about their denominations. But Gary is someone that I have met and whose ceremonies I've been a part of before. I wanted to make that clear. I wanted to make that clear because I know it's different to interview someone you've known in some capacity versus someone you're barely meeting for the first time. I hope that regardless of that fact, you'll still find this interview to be incredibly enjoyable and informative, and you'll hear me talk a little bit more about my personal experiences in a way that I wasn't really able to do with my previous two interviews. So, I hope you enjoy the interview, and I hope that you learn a lot from this. This is my interview with Gary Enns of the Zen Fellowship of Bakersfield. Well, well, thank you for joining me today. 
Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell them a little bit about who you are? Sure. My name is Gary Enns, and uh, I am the director of the Zen Fellowship of Bakersfield. We practice at a place called the Dust Bowl Dojo here in town, and we practice primarily Zazen, which is the, I'm sure we'll talk about in detail today, the Zen form of meditation. I have been practicing since about 2011, and my teacher, Richard Collins, ordained me as Shuso back in, I believe it was 2020. I'm going to have to get my facts straight again. Time flies. As Shuso, which allows me to teach Zen. So that's a little bit about me. I actually did not know it was called the Dust Bowl Dojo. That I actually didn't know. And I've been there too, and I didn't know it was called that. Yeah, we don't have a sign yet. We, we should have a sign in a while that kind of expresses that idea. It seems fitting for Bakersfield. It, yeah. it makes a lot of sense, for sure. <laughs> so what exactly is Zazen and, to a further extent, Zen Buddhism? Oh, goodness. What a huge question. Let's see, where do I begin to describe Zazen? Well... Let's back up. This podcast is about faith, and sometimes I think that implies something that maybe doesn't apply or applies in a different way to a Zen practice. This Zen practice that we do is not like faith tradition in which you go to a church and hear a sermon or listen to a talk or a tradition in which you have to have a certain kind of idea or faith about something metaphysical, right? So there are traditions like that. Many of the Christian denominations it kind of describes that, and that's fine. I'm actually a Christian too. I grew up Mennonite, and so I've got that in me. I've got that tradition in me and a certain kind of faith. This, you might say, is less like a church and more like a martial arts dojo, a martial arts practice, right? In a martial arts practice, you don't study in books and ideas for years and years and years. Instead, you go to the dojo and you practice over and over and over and over and over again. And the practice in martial arts never ends, right? You never get to a point where you stop. It just becomes a part of your natural day, your natural life. And it's almost like a healthy habit that you have developed, your practice in martial Well, Zen practice is similar. So not so much like needing to believe in a certain ideology, needing to worship anything at all, but to simply do the practice. And I'll talk about what the practice is in a bit. We can talk about Zen and, and Buddhist ideas, and those certainly are of interest, and we do from time to time. We break down the sutras and discuss their meanings and significance. But first and foremost, most primary is your relationship with yourself and reacquainting yourself with silence and stillness that, frankly, most of us seem to have lost in our day-to-day -day lives. Where is the silence? Where is the stillness? 
So it's reacquainting ourselves with that silence and stillness that's all around us. In Zen, you might hear the word emptiness, which may be another word for a kind of silence or stillness that pervades everything. Even in the midst of all of the movement and motion and everything we have going on through the day and everything going on through the world, throughout all of this, there is a space that encompasses all of that and a stillness. It's almost like if you could pan out and pan out and pan out, you start to see a little bit less of yourself and a little bit more about that grand uh, stillness that's out there. I hope I'm doing justice to Zen and Buddhism. You know, I'm just one monk, one guy trying to explain this, and I don't have a sutra in front of me. We're not unpacking, you know, theology or anything. It's how I kind of make sense of what we do. Now, you asked me about what is Zazen. Zazen is the Zen form of meditation. And yet, when you say meditation, that might imply something too, kind of like faith or you know, faith tradition that we don't quite fit. So meditation might imply that, you know, you have a mantra that you say over and over again, or you meditate on something specific. Zazen drops off even all of that. There's no specific focus that we concentrate on, no notion of worshiping anything, no mantra. So in this sense, it is the simplest, the word might be stark, although there's kind of a negative connotation of it, but simple might be better in that there's no accoutrements. There's nothing to it other than you sitting on a sitting cushion called a zafu, taking up the posture of zazen, which is getting back to a healthy posture that we've lost as well in the West straightening your back, concentrate, focusing on the posture, and then developing a deeper breath, getting back to the full potential of our natural and healthy breath, deep down from the belly, lengthening the breath. And then comes the attitude of mind, which in Zazen is simply this, dropping off body and mind, all notion of the separation between the two, all notion of, oh, the suffering of my body or a pain I've got in my knee. You may have a pain, but is it going to kill you if you sit through it? Probably not. And if you sit through it for a little bit, it may go away. So the physical sensations that you have, the physical sensations of the outside world, the cars going, you probably heard cars going by at the Dust Bowl Dojo, all that drops off. Sometimes the gardeners come at inopportune moments at home. Maybe there are kids making noise in the next room. All of this is simply the phenomena of the world that comes and goes. We let it come and go in Zazen. Nothing disturbs this concentration. So we're dropping off physical sensations. The phenomena are all around us. And also ideas that never stop in the mind. Because we're living human beings and the function of the mind is to think. So it's not like in Zazen, we're going to suddenly be clear of all of our thoughts, right? We're going to instead not grab onto those 
thoughts and let them drag us around, right? And lead us out of balance again. Because I think a lot of times our lack of balance in this world comes from up here. And certainly Zen teaches us that. It's the delusions we have, the ideas we have, you know, trying to figure out the meaning of what someone said to us, worrying about the future that isn't here yet, sad about a past that is no longer around. And a lot of this, whenever we're pulled one way or the other like this, we are off balance. We're not in this here and now moment anymore. That is really the only moment there is. I was going to say it's the most important moment there is, but that is misleading because it's the only moment there is. So when we concentrate on posture, we sit, we face a wall, we face ourselves, and all of this ego space junk we've got going on, we can let go of that as well. So a master by the name of Uchiyama came up with the metaphor of this opening in Zazen. We are opening the hand of thought, which is a really beautiful metaphor. And I think that's one of the best ones I've heard about what we're doing in Zazen. Instead of this gripping a hold of the thoughts and, like I said, being dragged around by them, we simply open the hand of thought. And then the thoughts can come into the palm of the mind but then go. They come and go. In that sense, we can become balanced again. So reacquaint ourselves with the natural balance that we can have in this life. And life tends to change, I think, when we practice this and we practice it a lot. I think that's one of the benefits of practicing Zazen is that it's hard to describe or hard to say, and I certainly wouldn't ever want to promise anything because everybody's experience with Zazen is different, right? But maybe there's this, you may start to feel a bit more of a balance in life with whatever you do because you've created or you've acquainted yourself with that emptiness that encompasses everybody and everything around you, including yourself. So an example might be, whereas you used to tend to have arguments and get angry with people who don't think a certain way, political way or religious way, or somebody annoys you all the time. It throws you off. I'm certainly not perfect. You know, I'm just a human being. I get thrown off too. But maybe what's different when you practice Zen for a while is you become more aware and conscious of when you're getting pulled and when you're getting thrown off. And once you realize it, you can come back to center again, and suddenly there's a space for that person that is there beside you, right? They're saying what they're saying that used to set you off, but all that's just more phenomena that you've learned to make space for. That's only just one example of maybe where Zazen practice can lead to somebody. Before I actually move on to another question, though, I just kind of want to reflect a little bit on, on what you said, because for the listeners, I've already told them in an introduction that I've taken part in Zazen before, you know, and hey, even today I did some Zazen. I know in my personal experience, like this week, you know, it's things happen at work and you get thrown off and having this like moment was just like, I, I can even go like, oh yeah, I feel a lot more balanced now <laughs> myself. Balance is a good word for it. And I hadn't 
thought of it that way before. I think this morning, the term I was at was like, I feel more at peace, but I, I like that term balance. And, and even the phenomena thing as well. I had this experience even today where, you know, I, cause I do not live alone. I live with other people. And so one of the things like I heard some body making some noise, working on something. And I was like, oh, man, you know, like this is a moment where I'm like, I would like it to be quiet. And it's like, well, hold on. <laughs> Why am I attached to this idea of having to be quiet? Even if I was in the most quiet room in the world, my own body would be making noise. You know, it's like it, you would hear the things, you know, so it's like, there's never going to be a moment of pure silence. And I, I like that palm Im image, you know, it's like, it's just and coming in, it's coming out. It's what it is. So so thank you for sharing all of that. That sure. I think you did a really good job giving an introduction to sort of what the practice is and also what it isn't as well, which is mm. really important in dialogues like this. So thank you again, Gary. So I do have another question though for you. And this sure. one is a little more specific than the last one. We're also here to talk about specifically the Zen Fellowship of Bakersfield. Could you tell us a little bit about the organization itself? What does it do? Who is it for, et cetera? Okay, sure. We started in 2011. Richard Collins, who was the first teacher, came from New Orleans. You know, after Hurricane Katrina, he had moved to one other place and then got a job here as a dean of humanities at Cal State Bakersfield. So he was here for several years. And he happened to have just been ordained as a monk from his teacher, Robert Livingston, who started the New Orleans Zen Temple. We are associated with a long tradition, and it's a historic tradition. When you join a group like this, you're getting connected to not just to a very general meditation practice, but to a practice and an organization that has deep, deep roots that go back way back into history. So for us, if we just trace back a little bit, Richard Collins came here. His teacher was in New Orleans, Robert Livingston. Robert Livingston had practiced for years in France with Teizen Deshimaru. Teizen Deshimaru was a great master who brought from Japan, he brought Soto Zen practice to France. And so then it hopped over the Atlantic to us and down in South America. So his teacher, Teshimaru's teacher before him was the great homeless Kodo, Kodo Sawaki, who was a beautiful master and taught Zen, Soto Zen to his teachers. Before that and before that and before that, on back to Dogen in Japan, and before him to Bodhidharma in, in China. And then before that, reaching back into India and the Buddha, it's got this deep, deep connection to history and practice that has remained unbroken since that time. And it's a traditional practice in that this is the posture, and this is the breath, and this is the attitude of mind of all of the teachers that have come before us, reaching back to the Buddha, which is a really cool idea to think about. So we practice it here in Bakersfield. And before 2011, there was another group here, but 
not this specific group of ours. So it's been growing. It grows very slowly. And why does, you know, a Zen group tend to grow very slowly? It's because not a lot of people want to go sit and face a wall in silence for an hour. I think that's it. <laughs> well, when you think about it, though, a traditional church is almost an easier sell because you've got entertaining music. You may have a band there. And if it's a modern church, you know, non-denominational kind of church, you may have a rock band there, which is even more entertaining. And you've got someone talking at you, to you, about a message, right? And so there's, there is some activity there, depending on the church. It's almost like I could sit back in my pew. I get up and maybe if it's a mainline church, you kneel. <laughs> if you're an Episcopalian, you kneel. You, you have some kneeling to do. But uh, there's a whole structure of things to occupy your mind as you worship. But in this tradition, you know, you come and we have instruments that once you know what to do, what the instruments mean, we can practice in silence. There's no words to this practice. So the bell rings, the woodblock strikes, the han, you know when to enter, which way to go and where to sit. So it's very quiet. Probably the most close approximation to this that you might find in the Christian tradition is in a Quaker friend's house or a meeting house, right? The Quakers get together and all of what I just described in other denominations, well, Quakers, it's just silence until someone feels called by the spirit. There's just sitting in silence being open, being receptive to the Holy Spirit in that tradition. There is a lot of similarity here. We're remaining silent and remaining open to, we don't call it the Holy Spirit, but ultimately, is it the same thing? Maybe it is. To this emptiness, this pervasive suchness or thusness that's all around us, we remain open and receptive to it. Well, back to the question. This is what we practice. <laughs> we get together and practice Zazen and we have some instruction. So the first Saturday of the month, we tend to have our introductions. So if you'd like to try it, the first Saturday of every month is a good time to sign up and come to an introduction. There's more talking on those Saturdays, more instruction, maybe a little more about the tradition, talking about the tradition talking about the sutras or the chants that we say. There is a, that tradition element. You will experience that when you come. So when you come into the dojo, it's set up like a traditional dojo. You will see longtime practitioners wearing a traditional black robe because it just helps to harmonize with your environment. It simplifies things to have a robe and you just put it on and you'll see that. There's some incense happening in altar and some zafus, which are the, the meditation cushions. And there's a lot of bowing beforehand and after. And we do chant some sutras. We chant one sutra, the Heart Sutra, which is probably the most popular and revered Zen sutra in the world or Buddhist sutra in the world. It's a distillation of that idea of emptiness that I was talking about earlier. And we chant that in... Sino-Sanskrit, which is kind of a mishmash of Chinese and Sanskrit, which is pronounced in Japanese. 
So it's this strange tradition of how to chant it. And we've got chant cards, and you can chant along or not chant at all. Well, there's a little bit about what we do and a little bit about what it looks like. Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for that. This has been a lot of really good information about the practice, and I hope that people really learned a lot because even someone like me who has studied Buddhism and Zen and has participated, it's like, oh, wow. All right. You know, I'm, I'm even learning some stuff here. So I really <laughs> hope. I hope. I, I remember the thing I was going to mention before. So if you come with expectations about what this is going to do for you, right? If you think I've been unhappy in life, I don't know how to do this. I want this type of meditation to, to fix me, to help me. Go ahead and come with those expectations, but just know that those expectations need to get dropped at the door of the dojo before you sit down, along with anything else, right? You take your shoes off, you throw your expectations, you cast them off, and you come receptive to be whatever this practice is going to be for you, right? So if you come with expectations of it, it's going to fix you, well, it may not, or it may, and once it does, maybe you cast off the the practice again. So best to come without any expectations and just be surprised by what presents itself. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Gary. I have one more question to wrap up with you. Because one of the things that I would like for people to walk away with is some wisdom. Now you've dropped a lot of wisdom already. You've spoken a lot about things that I think people can really think about, but I always ask this in conclusion of every interview I do here. If there was one thing that you would like for people listening to this episode to do or start doing, what do you think that thing should be? Wow. That's not the question I was expecting, (laughs) but it's a great question. Whatever you're doing, and, and this is if you come to practice with us, if you don't come to practice with us, it, it, it's not even associated with our, you know, practice at all. It's just whatever you're doing here and now in this life, whether you're gardening, whether you're playing with the child, whether you're cleaning the dishes, whether you're sending emails, responding to a challenge, be receptive to what is here and now, right before you, without the coloration of the past and the future. Just here and now, wholeheartedly practice this moment, whatever it is you're doing, dropping off everything else. And that is practice that I like to practice, and I don't do it all the time, just like everybody else. But if everybody did a little more of that, I think the world might be a saner place. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for that. That is quite wonderful. Is there anything you'd like to say before we wrap things up? Well, I think that's it. And we're always welcome to have anybody join us if they are curious and interested or if they have been looking for a type of this meditation practice. Come on in. Contact us through zenfellowship.org and we'll be happy to respond and provide more information. Awesome. Thank you again, Gary. Okay. Thank you, Ian. So what did you think of that interview? Did you learn a lot about Zen Buddhism? Do you think meditation is something that might enrich your life? 
or is just something that maybe you're even willing to just try and see what happens. Does the idea of a belief system without any metaphysical underpinnings sound appealing to you? Do you think that Zen Buddhism is compatible with your belief system? Go ahead and leave a comment down below. I'd like to thank Gary Inns for interviewing with me, and I'd also like to thank Shu Hayashi for donating the microphone that was used during this interview. Thank you again for listening to this podcast, and I have faith that you'll be hearing again from me real soon. Have a blessed day and a blessed week. Amen.